again to the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 90. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. We are knuckling down towards the World Cup, and this is the place that can help navigate you so it is an enjoyable, educational, and more than anything else, fun experience. We have a great show. We are talking U.S. men's national team. I know we don't want to bring up the Japan result in Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf. It always reminds me of uh, The Producers, the movie The Producers. I know it's a dated reference, but he goes, you know, the springtime for Hitler. Uh, Mel Brooks. Hey, they call me Rolf and I am from Dusseldorf. You guys remember? Never mind. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. What a talent. We will look back at Japan. I know there's a lot of problems, but there's a lot of storylines and the reaction is something that we want to break into as well. And for that, we bring in former U.S. men's national team defender, a guy who is right at the top of creating wonderful content for this sport in this country, the one and only Heath Pierce. I wish I could have him on every week. He's just too busy. So I got to be careful when I ask. And I'm doing this on a Sunday, so he's been kind enough to join me on a Sunday, so I appreciate that. So we'll talk about the U.S. men's national team as we'll talk to Heath in the business end. In stoppage time, we'll look at the Nations League. And once again, a reminder on why it has been an absolute slam dunk success of a tournament. However, in 2022, how there could be a concern regarding this incredible new development. We have a good show, so uh, let's get started. Soccer OG, roll them. Truly an international break like none other, because it's uh, September, getting ready for a November World Cup. This is it. Over tours, hit the lights. This is it, the night of nights. The dress rehearsal. The real McCoy, as close as to the vest as you could possibly get. And uh, there's a lot of pressure. Now, we could, uh, things could change, and we've seen it at so many World Cups, you know, and there's uh, examples of, you know, France or past winners stubbing their toe or struggling in qualifying, and then the World Cup rolls around and they win it or make a semifinal. And I'm not saying the U.S. are going to do that. Uh, look, I, uh, I don't want to put too much weight into a result. We'll talk about this with Heath. I don't want to put too much weight in a result, but you know, there's a part of me that really believes that this team is A, not as good as we think it is, and B, not quite ready. This, uh, it takes a while, and we've seen it with some of the uh, the more experienced teams, like Japan. Japan is a, a team where everyone's in their 20s, 25, 26, 27, and ready to hit uh, the ground running at a World Cup. That might suit them well, or they might get some bad breaks and get knocked out early. I don't know. We just don't know. That's what makes the World Cup so exciting. And the fact that it's in Qatar is going to change it a fair bit. Because look, I'm going to talk about the Nations League. And the nature of the Nations League with these packed stadiums. Man, they're expecting 90,000 at Wembley for this game on Monday. Um, who is England playing? Uh, Germany. So 90,000 at Wembley. So uh, if it's, it's a big event, which is a far cry from what we saw with the U.S. game in Dusseldorf against Japan, where you could hear a pin drop. It was weird. You know, I got up early. I don't want to keep harking about this, but 5.15 is too early. If you are, look, I understand people get up early. And I respect you for hitting the working week in full stride. But uh, someone like me, when you watch sports, you got to watch sports late at night. That's when they're on, right? Unless you're watching European soccer and then you have to get up early. But, uh, you know, so it is it it is what it is. Different strokes for different folks. So I got up early. I was a bit, uh, I had a concert. I saw the Avalanches at the Greek Theater. Greek Theater seats about 3,000 people. And the Avalanches are this uh, Australian DJ pairing that's been going at it for like 25 years. It kind of started like with Fatboy Slim sort of time. So uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. I really enjoyed it. I had a couple sea tales. I've stopped drinking beer. I've stopped drinking beer. I'm, I'm trying to lay down on the carbs because uh, I'm in pretty good shape. I exercise a lot, but maybe too much high caloric, high carbohydratic consumption. And I'm at 210 and I want to get to 185 because I have a thin frame. I was always the skinniest guy in school growing up. So I generally have a, a thin frame. Uh, I got bigger because you always, when you're skinny, you always wanted to be bigger, so you hit the weights, and so now I got to kind of meet in the middle. 
I work in MMA and all these guys say like, if you were a fighter, you would have to get to 185 at least, probably 170. I'm like, what? Right now I would have to fight John Jones. Are you kidding me? Brock Lesnar. <laughs> like 10 pounds away from having to fight Brock Lesnar. So uh, yeah, so I'll see if I can, I'll have a little beer because I love it. Uh, but I had little vodka sodas or tequila sodas or gin and something or gin and tonic. So I had that. So I got up early. I had like three hours sleep. And then I had to fly out because I do Combate Global in Miami. Great event there. Check it out on Paramount+. Plus. Good night of fights. And, you know, just, you, you want to be kind of the pulse quickened. But, you know, it was just so quiet in there. And the field, it was like just, it was, uh, yeah, it's going on. USA Japan. You could hear the coaches talking and the players talking to each other. Uh, there's a lot of kids there. By the way, this would be a great time to go to Europe. There's all these games going on. You know, Germany, Spain, France. Uh, Brazil played Ghana in Le Havre. I mean, they could do a good little road trip and see some games. I'm sure tickets are available. Uh, there certainly appeared to be some in Dusseldorf if you wanted to see Japan, USA. If you really want to put yourself through that. Been to a lot of places in Germany. I haven't been to Dusseldorf. So... Um, it was just, it was an eerie thing. It just didn't feel important, right? And then the game is played, and then you're uh, highly disappointed. But maybe the players kind of felt that. They didn't feel the, the rush of intensity. And, you know, also playing away from home. Uh, they've had all the creature comforts, and now they don't. you got to get used to that. Got to get used to that. It's going to be a very short World Cup if you uh, are bothered by the fact that... Uh, you have to stay at a hotel for extended time or uh, don't have uh, your dry cleaning around the corner, whatever it might be. Uh, so there's a lot of issues there and we will we will barrel into it. But, you know, 90,000 at Wembley, you know, that feels like the European final potentially. And meanwhile, whatever amount in Dusseldorf. Uh, we'll talk about the Nations League again in, in detail. But part of what I'm going to discuss is how they can prepare themselves for the World Cup by playing... High intensity games with stakes, which is what they have because you have to try and stay in your group A or group B or get relegated or make a semifinal. There's stakes everywhere. So that's really, really good. No stakes for Japan and USA. Same thing for uh, Brazil and Argentina. Argentina playing Honduras and Jamaica. Playing Honduras and Miami. I mean, that's a glorified... That's a glorified... Uh, you know, friendly, which these games are, but they got to be a little bit more. I mean, Argentina going through the motions. I don't know if that's going to help them that much, but I wouldn't worry about Argentina. They're playing Jamaica. It says Red Bull Training Ground. They're up in New Jersey. So, USA, how come they couldn't get into one of those games? That would have been great. They got Japan and Saudi Arabia, which isn't the worst thing. And I think with Iran beating Uruguay, now... Greg Berhalter said that this Iran game is going, the Saudi Arabia game is going to mimic a little bit of what Iran can do. So that's important for the U.S. And I, I expect a better performance, but I'm still, the concerns are there because this they play a really good team away from home. You want to see how the reaction was, and it was flat. But maybe there's things that need to be done here in future I mean, we just got to play more important games, whether it's a World Cup year or not. There's just not enough important games outside of our region. And, you know, seeing the Nations League, it, it makes you think that maybe you can uh, play South American teams or African teams and make a competition. There's a lot of good countries that aren't in Europe that the USA can align with. You know, I've been saying that MLS, they always say go to the Libertadores. Now, if you watch the Copa Libertadores, the Champions League of South America... It'd be a great competition, but it's a heavy, heavy travel. Now, what's happening in South America is the Brazilian League is distinguishing itself in a way where it's, it's what's a good comparison? Um, I had one and I forgot it, but it's, it's like the SEC in college football, right? The SEC is so much better. And although not this year, man, how about my Florida State Seminoles? The ACC has got a bunch of unbeaten teams, but you have... The Brazilian League that has distinguished itself, and it's going to be another all-Brazilian final, I think third year running, and last year was all-Brazilian semifinal, and the Copa Sudamericana was all-Brazilian final. There is an Ecuadorian team in the Copa Sud final this year, which is good. I want to see that. But why, if you're MLS, 
would you want to get involved with Argentine League or the Uruguayan League or the Chilean League? You want the Brazilian League. That's who you want to play. So there's creative ways. I don't know how you do it. Right now, MLS is involved with League MX, but you could see if you could perhaps carve out that relationship. But I would focus on Brazil. Um, Brazil, hard to imagine anyone getting close to them, whether it is a sports book or just gambling with your friends as who is going to be the favorite of the World Cup. Ghana, I think many thought, could be the best African team. Brazil just crushed them. Three zip, two goals by Hichalison. By the way, did you remember the old Richarlison? I always want to talk about this. There was a Hichalison, not this Hichalison, Richarlison. And I don't. I got to do some research on him. But the word was it that he was gay, and everyone tried to out him, and he said he wasn't gay. And I never knew what came of it. He was this really talented player. I don't know if it turned out that he was, or if, well, I don't know. But there was this big hullabaloo about this budding Brazilian star, Hichalison, who uh, everyone said, oh, he's gay. And it's none of our business, but it just shows the, the changing tide because, you know, there's a lot of gay players out there and they remain quiet as they are allowed to. Uh, but, yeah, I've been going on a few tangents here, but uh, there's so many interesting things, with the, interesting things with this sport that I have to share it with you. Brazil looks great. Argentina's obviously great. Iran beat Uruguay. That was the, the real shocker. Canada beat Qatar. I don't want to minimize that. Congrats to the Canadians. It was actually a pretty good window, at least the first part of it, for CONCACAF teams. Mexico beat Peru. I was supposed to go to that game, but I had to work. It was at the Rose Bowl. Uh, Peru's a good opponent. That game I, I did watch on the DVR. It was very hard to watch, much like Japan, USA. No there was atmosphere, but it just didn't feel important. There was no urgency. There was no cadence. But uh, Costa Rica tied uh, South Korea. The uh, Honduras obviously didn't do well, but Canada gets a nice result. But the teams that are going to the World Cup, minus the USA, have to be happy with their first efforts. This U.S. team will also talk about the lack of star powers. But, you know, I'm going to talk to Heath about it. The stars have to step up. The stars that are there. We thought, or we were told that everyone's as big stars. Brendan Aronson playing at Leeds and Tyler Adams playing at Leeds and Gio Reyna at Dortmund, Weston McKinney at Juventus. You know, these are the guys. I mean, the... the the players that aren't at that level, we can criticize and we can find replacements that may not be that much better. But if we are going to do well at the World Cup, the stars have to come out. We were short a lot of stars, but the stars that were there didn't deliver. In every sport, you look at the stars, right? The Chicago Bulls. If Steve Kerr or John Paxson had a bad game, you're all right. But Michael Jordan had to be on in the big games. It's <laughs> random examples. This is, uh, this is exciting, but again, we all talk about how quickly the World Cup gets here, and we don't want it to arrive too quickly. We want to do it in, in due time. But there it is, November 21st, the first game for the USA. The World Cup starts November 20th. November 9th, the roster will be announced, and then we're off and running. So here we go. We're World Cup-centric. We're talking U.S. men's national time team. We'll have a little discussion about what's happening in Europe. It's the Soccer OG. The business end with Heath Pierce is next. Time now for the business, and uh, we are between U.S. men's national team games, the disappointment in Japan. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll preview the Saudi Arabia game Tuesday in Spain. And here's Heath Pierce, former U.S. men's national team player. Heath, I hate to be a prisoner of the moment, but top line from this Japan game. It's one game, but is it is it completely out of bounds to say that we're not as good as I thought we were coming into that game? Uh, I certainly think that I, I I would say the thing that was most indicative of that to me is that I think that the players and the coach and the tactics that are uh, suggested and the tactics that are observed are not on the same page. <laughs> I would say that that's the thing that I gained from that game, which is it's one thing to have a system and a buy-in to that system. It's another thing for there to be a little bit of a pushback on that system. And I think we see this across club ball all over the place. Um, but at the international level, you tend to go with a game plan, even if, even if you don't like it, just because it's more about results than it is about the way in which you play and way in which you win. But that, to me, was like it seemed like Greg Berhalter had a very clear plan of what he wanted 
And those players are going, that's not how we could play. And then you see that in the way that they actually executed what I think was a, was a game plan that this team is not built for at the moment. Well, let's talk about those tactics because right now we're two months from the World Cup. You've got to get ready for a game in November. And the tactics were Japan would press and essentially give a blueprint on how to play the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it fell to the defenders. So we, everyone, and I, 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 you know, I talked to you off the air. It's, it's a bit naive, but everyone focusing on Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, they are the problem because they were forced to play out of the back and they couldn't play out of the back. Yeah. There were many more problems there. And it's, it's very, it oversimplifies that situation. So tactically, you are a defender. You should stick up for your defenders first and foremost. So <laughs> you look at is it as is it as simple as saying, all right, no Aaron Long, no Walker Zimmerman, put in some other players. I don't know who could do the job better right now. I would imagine John Brooks is at the top of the list, but that's not happening. He's played three minutes since May. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Tim Ream, he's a pretty good passer. I don't think he's gonna come in. And then of the guys there, are we going to put these younger players? Because I think also the issue is the maturity. You know, these guys are going to the first World Cup cycle, and it kind of showed they were very nervous. See the guys coming in, turning it over. But yeah, yeah. what what is the option? Is it you bring in new personnel? Which I don't think that is an option. Do you change the tactics? Or is it something bigger that you can approach this where you can protect those defenders a little bit, where that responsibility isn't so massive? I don't know how how you go about that. I heard some people say maybe Tyler Adams comes a little deeper and helps them out. There's different options. Is there a good option amongst them? I mean, I, I, I think for me, and we've seen this with every single national team coach since, since Bruce Arena 1.0, and they take chances in friendlies, right? You go out there with a game plan. And you're like, guys, play through it. It's going to be tough. Maybe they're going to press. But we need to figure out ways to be able to solve these kinds of things, right? And you go through that. But very rarely do you have it in a tune-up game for a World Cup. And I think that that was an attempt to play in a way that this national team hadn't played in over a year, right? The reason why I was pro Walker Zimmerman was because we decided to scrap playing out of the back. If you want to play out of the back, you've got John Anthony Brooks. He's one of the best passers in the Bundesliga. Now, John Anthony Brooks is not, not I don't think, fits the system of Greg Berhalter wanting to play a high line. But guess what, my man? If you can't get out of your back half, if you can't get out of your own half, you're going to be defending deep. You're not playing a high line because you can't get your lines up to the half line. So for me, if it was actually about playing a new system that we saw early Greg Berhalter wanted to play that right way, right? When you look at Greg Berhalter from, from, from the Columbus crew era, he liked to play through his center backs. He liked to play through his wing backs. He liked to play through his midfield, play through the lines. We scrapped that and we went to function over fashion a long time ago. And I think, uh, this game was a little bit of a setback or a little bit of a uh, confusing to me because even then, this is not just about Greg Berhalter. And maybe he just said, guys, even if it's 100 times and you mess up or whatever it was, 56 times uh, turnovers in your own half, in the keep first trying. Half. <laughs> yeah, in the first half, keep trying. And I've been in games or I've been in uh, friendly matches or training matches and preseason matches and league matches where that is the task, right? We are trying to break through on something. This feels super late to be able to, to, to be trying that. But ultimately, that then comes down to the players to go, hey, timeout. This isn't working, you know? We are making our best players look bad. We're making our consistent players look inconsistent. We're making our, like, squad players look like they're on the fringe. We're making our French players look like they don't deserve to go to World Cup. Everybody looked like they were two steps uh, back in that game. And so I think, for me, uh, we need to separate this game from from where I, how I think we'll approach this next one and throw it out because if you want to pass, Tim Reeves one of the best passers we've ever had as a left center back. But again, Tim Ream in a high line where you're pressing up and you're sort of in a pseudo gig and presses and you want to win the ball in good spots and go to goal there and leaves you a little bit exposed. Probably not our best defender, but but our, definitely our best passer or John Anthony Brooks and him are two left footers. We don't have a national left foot uh, center back right now that, that we want playing that's healthy and fit other than those two, but we don't use them because it's system-based. But if you looked at the system in that last game, it's pretty disappointing because that's exactly where I would use those guys because they never left the top of their box. You know who's good at defending on top of their boxes? John Anthony Brooks and Tim Ream. And so I don't think that's like a, a massive shift. We saw that in the past. I have no idea who came up with these things or why the players stuck to that for so long. But um, I think we'll see a bounce back from them. And I would be shocked if we went out as exposed or tried to do, you know, play through a high press um, for another 45 minutes uh, before going into a World Cup. I'd be, sh- I'd be absolutely shocked. And I think 
certainly Wales is not going to play the way Japan did. I don't think Iran's going to play the way Japan did. I mean, they would like to do that. I don't think they have the personnel. Sure. Of Japan. Yeah, they so, might now. They might, which would be really interesting to see. You know, Wales go. We're going. And who knows? It's uh, this World Cup's going to be yeah. wild, and maybe this opens the door. I just want to ask something because I know I'm in the very small minority defending Aaron Long, and he's been far from top tier Aaron Long. And I know before his Achilles injury, he was one of our best defenders, rumored to be going to the Premier League, and not rumored. There was you know bona fide reports that he was going to go hey, there. He's hey, one you're, of those. You're gonna you're hey you're gonna write out this tweet, aren't you? Huh? You're not gonna take it back. <laughs> this tweet you put out. You're gonna write it out, huh? You're gonna just you're gonna this is the hill. You're this is the hill well, you want to But it's like I, I go, it's like I mean, it was so bad, and like everyone was like, Aaron Long Walker's your Jesus Fereda. Get rid of them. I go, wait a minute. This I go, I sat there and I watched, you know, I saw like guys like Luca Della Torre, who I I it's amazing. He he peed down his leg. Uh anal, you know, uh not I forget the word, but it, it's uh it, it was a situation where he wasn't ready for that. I thought Weston McKinney was the worst player on the field, the way he played. And I didn't hear the criticism for these guys. Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman are probably in the crosshairs right now. And I imagine Greg Berhalter's thinking about it. Ideally, I would like Zimmerman and Chris Richards. I think that's our best pairing for the World Cup. And Chris Richards, that's a big part of it, too. A lot of guys were out. I mean, Wea, Musa, Richards, Anthony Robinson, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Christian Pulisic. That makes a big, that's half your team. That makes it. But is it, am I being, am, am I, am I overselling it a little bit? That well, he's it not, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter if you're overselling it or not. He, he is, it, he is a Greg Berhalter guy and Greg trusts him. Now this game is a setback for him, but it's not a setback in terms of Greg's ability to trust him. Right. That, that, that is why you, I, I have, I've had bad games, national team games, you know, guess what? I got called back in. You know, well, actually, the last one with Jurgen, he didn't think I played good, and he never called me back in again. But like, that was a that I don't think that was a bad uh, necessarily a bad game, more of just like other options. But what, one day we got to talk about uh, Jesse yeah. talking to you about not making the World Cup. That'll be for yeah, another yeah. day. But that was yeah. a well, but 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 in in all seriousness, you know, I go back to the time where when Walker Zimmerman just walked straight into the national team after not being part of the plans, it was because he provided something that was predictable, right? Walker Zimmerman's not going to be playing. By the way, when Walker Zimmerman hit a long diagonal ball at the start of the second half that went over the top, and then we stretched him, we just chased that ball and put him under pressure, and then we were running the ball higher up the field. There was no problem with that in my book. Yeah, it's a turnover, but like it at least moved us up the field and into those positions as opposed to them having to make these threading the needle passes uh, with the ball at their foot and at a standstill. But anyways, on, on, on that subject again, Walker Zimmerman walked right into the national team, and it wasn't because we lacked players. We've got a lot of center backs, but it was because we knew exactly what you're going to get from him at all times. Now, I know that this, there's this huge hatred. I get hated on all the time. I played in Europe. I played in MLS, and I get attacked for, for yeah. supporting any MLS-based players. Um, and I do think that there are certain types of pressures that come with playing in certain leagues in Europe. Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. Some of the stereotypes are real. Some of them aren't. Um, but we've, we've got players in the prime of their careers as center backs right now. And yes, Aaron Long hasn't had his best season. And Walker Zimmerman, since signing his new contract, hasn't had the best of seasons in the way that we've seen him. Now, I'm not saying those two things are connected, but just more of like giving the window of time that I think he maybe saw a little leveling out in his, in his, in his um, play. For me, though, I would love for Chris Richards to be the starter in the World Cup. Chris Richards doesn't play in the Premier League. Chris Richards played 19 games in the Bundesliga last year in a full season. Right. So now you're talking about 19 games all last year injured for, for obviously a good part of that. And he was a starter for, for Hoffenheim in a back three. And then you go into this year and he's got, I, I don't know, a few minutes, 34 minutes or something like that over yeah, five, six enough. games or four games or something like that out of eight total and, and whatnot. I would love for him to be that guy. But like, if you're Greg Berhalter and you've got to look at your staff and look at your roster and look at your team, there's no, it's not like you're just, it's not like you're just looking at it going, well, I'm just going to keep going with Aaron long because that's my guy. You're going, okay, you've got Mark McKenzie starting to play again a little bit. Cameron Carter-Vickers playing in, in, in Scotland. You've got Aaron Long, who's got more experience, so to speak, than, than they do. And so you've got to pick and choose who is your best option to go next to Walker Zimmerman. I know Walker Zimmerman's going to continue to be the starter. He wore the captain's band. Um, but for Aaron Long, he's got a lot to prove, and we're going we're gonna to see whether he gets that chance in this game or, or where that goes. But at that, at that one across the board, like you said, whether it was Weston, 
whether it was Brendan Aronson, whether it was Brendan uh, Aronson, another one who was like, I go, what, what happened? Tyler Adams, what happened? Tyler Adams turnovers, you know, like turnover machine. Literally, I I would tell you that the one thing that all, all, all media agreed with was that the only person we want to talk about is Matt Turner. That's it. And even he's not in a good club situation, No, but at least he had a good game. At least he, at least he made some big saves for us. But then you look back at his situation, you go, okay, we can have him. We got Zach Steffen who actually played right before this camp started, uh, played 90. Um, but didn't come in, obviously. Uh, then you've got Ethan Horvath playing for Luton. And you're just kind of like, well, you've got people starting. you got Sean Johnson, Johnson starting. But then you've got your number one who's not getting games. So it's building a team is so much more than just like whoever plays at the highest level, one, makes your team. That's typically the case generally for the national team. But then you have like, are they playing or are they not? Are, you know, what's the, the, the form of the team? What does the team need in any given opponent? And like you said, Iran's not going to play that way. If you looked at Wales playing against um, playing, playing in their um, nations league games. I mean, they're great on the counterattack. So they, if they're looking That's at their us, jam. They go, this team, they looked at us and, and same with Iran technical and can play on the counter. just going, Hey, we saw these guys in CONCACAF. We saw these guys in qualifying. They cannot break down a lower block and they're going to overexpose themselves at some point with Robinson and Dest way too high up the field. And that's where we're going to punch them in the face. And so there is already, I already thought that that was the vulnerability for us, but now I'm looking at it going, man, you just high press us. And if we can't figure out how to stretch somebody vertically or how to go long or how to scrap for second balls, we're in trouble. But again, this is a 90 minute game. I would say, and I, I know I'm on, I'm on like my preacher's corner right now, but um, the, the, the Japan approached that like a World Cup game. They played it like a World Cup game. The tactics, the discipline, the willingness to do whatever they had to do to make that game very difficult for the U.S., stick to a game plan. When they smelled blood, they, they, they went after a little bit more. When they didn't, they knew exactly where to fall into. It was like they executed. They, they had the game plan from the coach, the players, and they executed it all together. And the U.S. seems like it was still like sort of tinkering with the game plan and a mentality and a tactic and a system of play and all that stuff sort of came to life of just the stubbornness to change it. And when it wasn't working, go back to the nation's league final against Mexico, three, five, two. Every time we went back to a four and you and I, by the way, we did this all the time last year with LAFC. When they went back to a back four, you're like, <laughs> it was oh, the wing back. Breathe again. Yeah. It's hair raising. Breathe again and go. Yeah. Yeah. Because in theory, the, even for the U S national team, right? You could see a back three somewhere in there, even though you'd have to remove one of your best strikers. And I tend to think that we're better in attack than in defense, but you can see how you could have uh, a Richards and, and a Zimmerman and, and a Long or McKenzie or or anybody, right? Bar- Vickers, whoever. Um, but then you go, well, we haven't really trained it. We haven't played it. We haven't practiced it. And that's that's a, that's a worry for me. And this one felt like whatever it was they were trying to do wasn't was something that we threw out the window when qualifying started or the first time we got punched in the face and qualifying. And, and it reared its ugly head. And I, I did not like it, as you could tell. <laughs> I didn't like it either. I did like Japan. I was like watching all smitten and go, these guys got, figured it out. Yeah, amazing. I was. I wish I was Japanese. They yeah. figured it out. They really are nice to watch. They play a nice. That's it. You know, Iran beat Uruguay. And everyone's going to go. All oh, right, we're going to do. Iran had thirty percent possession. They played a really good low block. They're they're not going to change. Wales maybe. I don't know. But England and England. The, the thing about England, they're struggling. We're being compared to England because we're both struggling so much. So this group yeah, yeah. doesn't really. I mean, maybe Japan's better than all three teams we're going to face at the World Cup. Maybe Japan's the best team in the it world. Could be. I mean, Japan, they were just a good, they were just good. They were just very, very solid, right? They didn't leave any gaps. And we were in this constant chicken or the egg of like, do we need to play out to get the space? Or if we give the turnovers, is that what's leading to our gaps in our, our pressing? Where it was, was like, is, is our best line of attack actually in the attack? Or is our best line of attack in transition of higher up the field? And it was like, we couldn't figure it out. And it led to us just being really poor in transitional moments, in build-up moments, in defensive moments, in sort of tackle moments, where then it felt like every guy felt like they needed to do a little bit more, and they overcommit, and they break pressure on us all the time. It just felt like if you could list out 100 things that could go wrong, uh, you know, when you weigh any sort of tactical uh, battle, and you say, like, these are the risks, every one of those went wrong that day, and it exposed us in a lot of ways. So I'm not worried, because I know, we all know the quality of these players. We know what they, what they stand for. We saw that fight come together in qualifying. It's just all about response time because we are out of time to. Out of time. I don't think we should be tinkering anymore. Yeah. Like Jeff Goldblum said in uh, Independence Day, time's up. <laughs> Although we're not going to get <laughs> bombed by aliens. Uh, well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I cannot confirm or deny. But uh, and listen, just getting back to Aaron Long, he shouldn't be starting for this team. I'm comfortable that he's there. He. It's hard to defend him when he plays that way, but everyone played that poorly. I just don't like to single out the players too much on a day like that. And people had it uh, already 
cocked where they were going to say they're going to focus on Long, Zimmerman, Fereda. Those are the top of lists. Yeah. They happen to be MLS players. You know, I, I'll i get pushed back because I work for MLS. I work for LAFC and I'm defending him. But I also defend the uh, European-based players, many of which are MLS players at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just happens to be. So I'll flip over to Fereda because I'm a big – I think – he he misses chances, but he creates so many chances. And my goodness, he had the only chance of the game. He had the only yeah. chance of the game. And zero we had zero on shots on target. So mm-hmm. I will say, I will concede a bit. I was hoping Josh Sargent proved a little bit more, but you probably know more as a player. When everyone's playing at a low level, you can't come in and play at a high level. You kind of get dragged, I imagine, to that level at some point because uh, you just don't see some guy. He's with the exception of Matt Turner playing lights out and it was a, it was probably a uh, untenable situation for Sargent. Now, Jordan Pifok, Jesus Fedeta I don't think missed uh, a, an easy chance. He just wasn't tall enough. He wasn't he maybe mistimed it. But maybe there is there is food for thoughter. I don't even know that's an expression. Food for thought of having a, a more traditional center forward because we'll get those crosses in from in that case, it was Sergio Dest or maybe Gio Reyna or someone from a wide position where you could cross it. That may make sense to me. So what do we look like? What, is there something? I would still say that's Ricardo Pepe. I would still say that's Ricardo yeah, Pepe. Yeah, it could be Ricardo than, Pepe. Than, 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 than a Jordan Peefock. I think Peefock's fantastic. I think he needs players and uh, more players around him. He's best in a, in a two-striker system. That's how he's thrived with with um, um, with Union Berlin. I think he's an unbelievable goal scorer in, in fantastic form. But he's also one that everybody wrote him off the moment he missed that chance against Mexico, right? They were like, "Well, he can't." Finish well, he looked he looked lost. He yeah. was looked like which yeah. way's up. He's like like a, he yeah. he just was. It was really it and, was odd. And so for, you know, for me, it, I I still think Ferreira is the guy. Obviously, his club form hasn't been great. He finally broke his 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 um, dry spell of not scoring, and I think that 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 helps. Hopefully, we'll see see him a little bit because he's got the ability to be impactful uh, in 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 a lot of ways. He makes players around him better. And of course that came down to a big chance where everybody wants to argue like a natural born finisher or the top strikers finish Ferreira's chance. And you could say he could have moved his footwork a little bit. That is his uh, timing could have been different and things like that. But like the Ferreira thing goes back to the fact that that's always been the criticism, right? So people wait with their binoculars on going like, well, yeah, missed his chance. Yep. He sucks. By the way, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of spectators with binoculars in that game. That kind of, starting to annoy me i go what yeah what are you looking at (laughs) you got to look at the like you know all the stitching and everybody's all about obsessed with the new jerseys you know so you got to see the beautiful like you know close-up uh prints of 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 everything see see the quality of manufacturing um going on in those jerseys but (laughs) yeah it's uh, for is a for is a tough one because he you can see what he is but he's still young and that's the thing about him and sergeant and uh peppy they're all they're all really young what well, you get a little bit different with with um, with Jordan Pifok is he's just also in form right now, and it shocks me that that he doesn't. Um, again, this goes back to the system of, of the way that they played. Do I think Pifok would probably be the best option if we were going to try to play through and then all of a sudden realize, oh man, we need to lump lump it up to a big striker that can scrap? Probably. But the thing is, is if we had figured that out in the first half, right, and say spray it to the corner or get it up to a target striker, bring it down, draw some fouls, get up underneath, win those second balls and go, then he would he is still one that would have been difficult within the system because we would have been higher up the field, pinning Japan back, and he is not a pressing striker. You know, he is not the striker that Greg wants in, in his system. And that Greg's made that clear. Um, and he doesn't, he's not that first line of, of pressure where I think all those other three guys are willing to do that work. And when we've seen when they those guys do that work and the team presses together, we are very good in transition moments high up the field. And so it was again one of those things where it's like, well, if we're gonna play like this, then then what are we doing with this lineup? You know, this doesn't make any sense, right? Like you it, like you mentioned Luca de la Torre, he doesn't fit into into the context of 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 the way that we wanted to play play through in in that sense, right? We need, yes, you you can't replace a Eunice Musa with anybody in this team, but you could have put a, a, a true number 10 uh, at the top of that triangle, like a Gio Reyna, or you could have put a Brendan Aarons in there or whatever it was. You could have tinkered with something that provided us a little bit more um, just connection to the attack to drive that through. And so uh, I've got a lot more questions than I have answers from that game, just in terms of the way it played out. And it's easy to speculate, well, like if we were going to do this and we should have done that, but I'm not sure we even knew we were going to do this. And I've talked to a few players and there is some frustration um, of uh, tactics and, uh, in-game, not in-game tactics, but preparation for the way in which we are going to get a result against teams um, 
it's very different than preparation for a World Cup, right? And very different. Like it, it just seemed like uh, there was some, uh, yeah, people weren't necessarily happy or bought in even. And so I hope that they either revert back or take that as a learning to say, okay, we tried to go a little bit too far, you know, uh, from the nest, and we're going to come a bit back now. One of these narratives in the echo chamber that is uh, USMNT soccer Twitter is, and if I, if I hear it one more time, I'm going to puke. It's not a bad idea, but everyone's saying the same thing. We should bring in Jordan Pifok in case you need that goal in the last 10 minutes to have a target forward. I go, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you got to be pretty precious with these spots, but it makes sense. But it, it, this is one of the things with, and I told you off the air, just communicating on social media. It's like these narratives are being repeated and it's getting really odd. And I wonder if we are being, uh, if the criticism is in the right areas or we're getting pulled well, into this weird vortex of, of criticism where um, it's, I mean, I imagine Greg and these players have to be hearing it because it's, it, it's become this phenomenon. It really has yeah. because everyone says this. And like, I'll say stuff that is like, sounds completely against the grain and outlandish and I get, I get raked over the coals and I don't want to have an argument. Like if I send a yeah. tweet late, I go, I'll, I'll erase it. Cause I don't want to wake up in the morning and have, Oh my God, what happens? Cause uh, these people go there, yeah. but it, it's, it's, I mean, we also have this, we have this Wando obsession too, right? Yeah. Where if you look at, if you look at our national team uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm literally using the words from, from uh, my friend, John Parker, who, who, who poked holes in that same argument where I was like, well, why, why wouldn't they have them for the last 10 minutes? Right. I've, I've played with strikers that are final 10 minute guys. And, and he sort of painted this picture of like, we have this Wando obsession of like this, put him in like any given Sunday type of like Rudy type of moment where it's like, put him in, it's going to go in slow motion. This guy's going to get up and leap over everybody. But if you think about our set pieces over 90 minutes, our biggest strengths are still Weston McKinney. It's still Walker Zimmerman. It's still uh, Aaron Long in the air. It's still these guys that can get up and get, get big and, and, and get on the end of headers. It's not uh, necessarily, we're not without that, right? So if you're thinking about the final 10 minutes, yeah, sure, maybe. But at the same time, is 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 there another player like like again a, a Ricardo Pepe that you could put in, in the final ten minutes who's going to maybe be just as aggressive, maybe not as big, uh, but can maybe provide one or two other moments to create the chances going forward or to set up the teammates? And he and I thought that was a pretty solid argument against mine because I was like, of course you put in uh, a, a stereotypical big target striker at the end of the game, so you have an extra you know set of feet and 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 a big head in the box for to scrap and and do these things and. And, he, and, I, and I thought the Wando obsession thing is, is, is a valid point that, that people are all about that. Um, so I don't know if I, I necessarily agree or disagree, but I, I tried to argue that. And it was, it, it had, it was a, it was a solid argument against me um, where I was just like, yeah, maybe you're right. Like maybe there is some, some merit to like, we already have guys good in set pieces. So do you, what else do you need? We do make sure you can get the ball in the box. Except so for the guys you can, who, so, you know, except for the guys who were hitting the set pieces, which becomes, amplified and we yeah. saw reyna take it we saw ferreira take set pieces and pulisic's gonna take yeah. it and he's not a that's not his game so we maybe no matter if you had you know, the, ralph sampson and hakeem olajuwon in the area you yeah. probably couldn't get going i i remember when uh in my era when i think about all the set piece takers right landed took set pieces and whatever and you know solid but like i think about one person and one person only as the person that the, actually two Eddie Lewis could whip in a dime yeah. on pace, like with absolute blistering pace. And same thing with Bobby Comby. These were the guys that like, you only needed to touch it, right? You didn't need, we have like, and again, there's so many parallels weirdly that like, when I'm talking to you, I think about, I think about <laughs> LAFC, but I'm not going to like bring the two together. It's hard. I like, know it's hard. Just, I those, bet you just the set, just the set pieces and like weird, like, transitional moments and counters and formations and whatever, like those, those are the two teams that I'm closest to LAFC and the national team. So maybe I'm just too intertwined in that. But when I think about it, I think about just the pace of those balls coming in and the danger of those. And I think about Kellen Acosta when he hits those deadly set pieces, right? When he hits them with those pace, it's just, it's got a chance to beat everybody, but I don't think we have a set piece specialist in our national team right now. No. That's on the field in our starting 11 that puts the ball with pace into these dangerous spots where anything can happen, right? It's a little bit more of like, you know, when you, you, when you play on teams that are unbelievable at set pieces or against teams, you know that every corner kick and every free kick, you're like, oh my gosh, dude, again, they're going to just, they're going right. to, they got seven guys that are willing to put your head where you, you can bring LAFC head. back on this yeah. one too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you think about this and you're like, dude, every time we draw a foul, you look at it. Like sometimes you see teams 
or national teams and, and you see the body language of the players going like, don't give a stupid foul. And it's like 35 out in the middle. And you're like, this isn't a stupid foul. This is a smart foul. But then you see who's taking it and you see who it's against. And you go, man, this is a team that can live and die on these alone. And, and I don't think that we are, I don't think people, even though you go back to, you go back to last summer and it's like gold cup nations league set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. Um, since then, like since in the, in, in the last month, I, I just can't think of like who's putting in those pacey balls that are putting us in super dangerous positions um, to, to, to win games, even if we're having a bad one. Like the Island of Misfit Toys. We have a t- yeah. tactics that don't fit. We have good set piece receivers don't, or recipients don't have good uh, benefactors that come in there. What can you do? It just doesn't. It's like a weird jigsaw puzzle. But you sound like an estate lawyer. You know? like, <laughs> <laughs> benefactors it- and receivers and, uh, you know. <laughs> What's your offer? What's your offer on this estate? Uh, the interest <laughs> rates are very high. We will get you. We'll, we'll get you in here. Uh, lickety split. You can move in uh, the first of November. It, with with the guys that we're missing, is it is it a case also that if all those guys that I mentioned, uh, Wea, Musa, who I thought we missed massively, Chris Richards, but to your, I mean, we put him under the microscope, or you did, and doesn't play a lot. May not be the the perfect fit for what Greg is wanting. Obviously, Jedi Robinson's another level. Form yeah. wise, like quality, yeah. Quality, okay, quality, okay, for sure. But Cameron Carter Vickers, who's not really a pass, is not. That's not his his best attribute is passing out of the back. And then Christian Pulisic. If those guys were back, mm. is this U.S. team considerably better? Where they could beat Japan, where we could be put at ease. Is that a big issue here, or is it more systematic? Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, it was more of just this game plan and playing out of the back. Like, I don't remember when we play home game. Sure. Like we can, we can pass the ball around, but we weren't trying to thread thread passes to break down lines through our center backs. Right. And, and I, and I talked to somebody about this recently. I actually talked about it on, on, on the, the CBS pod in soccer. We trust as well, but it was more of like Mark McKenzie when he came on. Yes. He had a turnovers like all the center backs did. And yes, you could say he had a bad game like all the center backs did. But the one thing he was doing is he's playing, playing primarily most of his passes with his left foot as a left-footed center back, as a, as a left center back. And most of his first touches were forward. And the reason I say that is it's a tiny little detail that's different than the other center backs who were more put your foot on the ball, square pass, out to your fullback, back, square pass, put your foot on the ball. When Mark McKenzie was taking his first touch forward, and then Walker Zimmerman started to do it. You st- that initiates an attack, right? Which means me as the center forward, I now have to decide, do I drop or do I press on you? And once that happens, then the game starts happening, right? Which means he's now left a position to press you, which means now a, a space is opened up and it creates the clockwork of, or, or, or um, the, 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 the rhythm of how you're going to build up in the attack, right? Whereas before, when we were trying to pass, it was just stagnant passing. It wasn't like we were like passing for the sake of passing. And Japan was just like, okay, no problem. We're just going to collapse on you. But when we were passing with emphasis or when we were moving up the field because they gave us 10 yards and we took it and, and we forced them to initiate the press, then they were a little bit out of whack. And then we can have one, two touches out the other side, or we can have a long diagonal ball. And it gave us more options in better spots that initiated our attack as opposed to having to solve for a press. And I think us dictating that in the second half and yeah, well, it still wasn't clean, and there was quite a few bad moments. But it, at least to me, and at least in my in, in my eyes, was the, was the difference between being reactive and proactive in the way that we wanted to play versus reactive to how they were playing. And now we've got to figure out: oh man, they're pressing higher than we thought, or they're pressing better than we thought. You know, they switched their their single pivot or double pivot to a single pivot or to a double pivot higher, and and that sort of thing. Where it was like we found ourselves confused as opposed to proactively forcing them to make adjustments and. Not to say that it worked at all, but it was just, it was one thing that I noticed that was better in the second half than in the first half was this willingness to say, if we are going to do this, let's at least dictate how we're going to do this versus like do it because somebody told us to. And that might bode well for Mark. And I agree with you there. And I think some people say there was like a 10 minute stretch where out of the gates of the second half, it looked better. And then it got flat again. And the U.S. weren't even getting into the final third and they didn't get any shots on target. So it was a very disappointing second half. But I would say, Mark McKenzie did have those moments, which looks like he could perhaps uh, uh, perhaps execute that game plan, state playing out of the back 
a little better than say Aaron Long. Now, yeah. they're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Let's talk about the Saudi Arabia yeah, game. I mean, no, what? There's no stock. There's no like no one's stock went up in this game. No one's stock went up, but there was. Look, I, we were hanging on for. You're like we we're looking for anything. So we're like grabbing, gravitating to. Okay, that was a good save. Oh, there was a good touch. I mean. You talk about forward passing. I mean, it was everyone was passing backwards. I was losing my mind because this was a, a criticism of the U.S. maybe a couple of years ago where we weren't moving forward and we went right back to it because nobody wanted to go into the, the teeth of this Japanese midfield. And uh, it, so anything I would grab onto and say was positive. It was a very short list. But looking at Saudi Arabia, they're not I, I would be stunned. Maybe there's some maybe Mark McKenzie does start. Maybe. uh uh, maybe the fullbacks look a little different. Perhaps Joe Scally comes in. He gets a shot. I thought Vines was okay in the second half. He was another one that was all right. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you change too much or you bring guys in. You kind of want to get close to the dress rehearsal here. But is there things that on your list that you would like to see done? Keeping in mind that they're not going to have these massive adjustments. I mean, you're, we're, if we see that, then that the U.S. is destined for failure. If all of a sudden Greg Perholder has been doing this, doing this, doing this, and all of a sudden he goes, all right, we're doing this now. We're lumping the ball forward. That's it, not going to happen. And if it does, it would it'd be very worrisome. But are there little things that you could see, whether it's personnel, whether it's a, a shift in tactics that you would like to see in the Saudi Arabia game? Um, I, I, I see us playing probably closer to, to the way that we did against, against Morocco or Uruguay, a little more on the front foot, less risky of trying to play through everything. I could see us going a little, I wouldn't even say conservative, just a little more towards what made us good. And what we at least thought was the identity of this team. I thought this, this was a massive departure away from that in terms of putting our best 11 in the positions that they're best at, or in the situations that they're best at to help the team get a result. That is not putting the ball at Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman's feet. To be the, to break the first line of pressure pressure on the pass, or from there, you know, putting other players in tough spots like Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney to have to make the game right. We we have a, we had a very specific way of playing, so I could see that. Now I I think we'll probably see a different starter uh, at center back. I know Aaron Long was was dealing with a little bit of um, a leg issue going into that last game, um, so I'm not sure if we'll see um, Eric Palmer Brown or, or Mark McKenzie playing next to Walker. I think that will be consistent. I'd say you go with uh, Sammy Vines one more game just to give him another look because I think as much as I would say that he struggled in that game, you also have realities of we don't have a bonafide backup left back. And and um, and Sam Vines is the only one playing at a high level that I think is a le that's a natural left back, left footer that could, that could yeah. potentially play at that level. So I think you need another look at him to just go, can I trust you in the World Cup or can I not? You know, Or are you a 2026 focus player um, which now, is fine by the way is, which is fine because yeah, we by the way we can't get much younger we, we, we getting younger worries me because they look the inexperience to me was an issue too it kind of came through okay. where it looked these guys looked like uh deers in the head not deers in the headlight but just like caught in this big moment and that's fine you have some young players but you've got to, i don't know if you want to have too many young players yeah and then and then from there on that same note like i it, now that obviously puts Joe Scally in a bad spot, and I think he deserves a look. But the problem is, is we're four deep at right back, and he's a natural right back. Yes, I know he can play on the left side as well. So maybe he gets a second half if if you don't, or maybe you give him the run at at, at right back. But it's just hard to know where he fits in because we know that last year in the Bundesliga he'd played on the left side as well, and and he's capable of that. But I just wonder, as a you know natural left footed left back. Maybe Joe Scally becomes that guy that you know that you can have as a backup or secondary player at left and right, and it allows you to bring another player in another spot. But since the injury of Jedi Robinson, if I'm Greg, I'm looking for somebody who's going to be like, you might have to start games in the World Cup, so I oh, need yeah. somebody to start to step up. And in my cycle, we had other players that could, right? Carlos Bocanegra started playing more left back than Demarcus Beasley could drop back, drop back to left back. You had Johnny Bornstein in, in, uh, as the natural left back. And so you had the confidence of saying, you know, I've got en good enough center backs that could be starters. I can put this guy here, called Spokenegger. You're going to be here today. Uh, you know, um, uh, Demarcus Beasley, you're going to be here today. And right now, the U.S. doesn't have that. Uh, and so they need to figure that out. And then in terms of our midfield and attack, it's tough to know what they're going to go with. But I would love to see us try to put our best best uh, attack of what we currently have, you know. And and I'm, I'm guessing I would love to see Ricardo Pepe get the start. I would love to see... Um, uh, Christian Pulisic playing with Brendan Aronson and then maybe a Gio Reyna sitting at the 10 spot in the midfield instead of a De La Torre. That's my ideal scenario. But again, um, just some, just some sort of, uh, open thinking, I guess is what I'm saying in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, who, who we should roll out and why, because part of it needs to be, get, go get a result, play well, 
not just like, you know, let's try yeah. something new. It's a good late for, for new things. Good yeah. taste in your mouth. Based on this yeah, conversation, exactly. I would love to see Ricardo Pepe get a look there, but we shall see. Uh, Ferreira, Sergeant, uh, I think that's the one alteration that may be different, and hopefully Christian Pulisic can play, but uh, we shall see. Hey, Heath, I appreciate it. I'm a little smarter now, and thanks for helping me get off the ledge here a bit with some of my my hot takes. I'm not married to any of them. I'm going to get hey, off Twitter. I'm trying, man. I, I argue these same points to people all the time, and then I've, I've learned that, like, I surround myself with three, four people that, that take all different sides, like, the most extreme and somewhere I find my balance in the middle of like being talked off the ledge on things, being talked onto the ledge on things um, and, and having those people around. So I'm glad that I got a chance to talk to you, kind of hear your take and your opinion and perspectives and hear what you're gathering. Cause I th certainly think it makes us smarter as opposed to just being uh, dumb and emotional, you know, there you go. We're all about getting smarter. Keith Pierce, former U.S. men's and national team player and overall breath of fresh air. Thanks for joining me here in the business. And we'll be back here on the Soccer OG. We'll be talking UEFA Nations League in stoppage time next. We're into stoppage time, talking Nations League, which I had my concerns about. But boy, was I wrong. It's been great. And I can't wait for these semifinals. Can't wait. Big time players. They're, these are they're easing into these games. High pressure for teams like England. You know uh, the negativity towards uh, Gareth Southgate, right? And I don't know the result of this Germany game. As we said, ninety thousand in Wembley. Oh, I also forgot. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Pretos. We have a recap of the Japan game. We'll have a recap of the Saudi Arabia game. So, you know, Gareth Southgate under high pressure. They want his head. England winless in last five. And there was an Opta stat that made the rounds. I'm sure many of you saw it. England, only one of two nations yet to score a single non-penalty goal in the 2022-2023 Nations League. The other is San Marino. The only Marino you want to be affiliated with in the sports world is Dan, Dan Marino. By the way, how about the Dolphins, man? 3-0. I grew up in Miami. Dolphins aren't my number one team, but I like to see them do well. But they haven't had a good team in, since uh, the 80s. It's been bleak. They make fun of who the worst team is. And they say the Lions, the Cardinals, the Bengals, the Dolphins too, man. But it was loud there. So good, good. Somehow I got Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins into the pod. So, uh, you know, England losing to the Italians again. And they're going to be relegated in the Nations League. So the pressure's mounting and they look flat. And it's interesting that there's these mirror images of England and the USA, which gives you a little pause, right? Because you say, all right, the U.S. Uh, aren't the only ones maybe heading into the World Cup on a bad patch. And, you know, a lot of folks, as we talked to Heath, said Japan gives you the blueprint how to beat the U.S., when you look at teams like Wales and Iran, they're not going to be able to play like Japan does. So there you go. There's some positives there. Wales isn't all of a sudden going to start high pressing and going to be very hard to dispossess. Wales involved in the uh, in the Nations League as well. Gareth Bale putting in 90 minutes. We haven't seen that with LAFC. So good sign, I would imagine, for LAFC as he returns. And certainly for Wales. Uh, as I said, I think Gareth Bale, I think, struggling with some things. He's just, it's just the body maybe not really cooperating, but we'll see. I just, I just watched that and that's my, I have no intel. I just feel like he's, he's, he's getting there. Netherlands beat Belgium in the Amsterdam arena. Virgil van Dijk, a 73rd minute goal. Just a huge stakes at that game. Benelux neighbors. Croatia into the final four. Was it France got relegated? Did they get relegated? Maybe not. Played Denmark, by the way. I know people say, who could be an outsider to win the World Cup? I don't think Denmark's going to win the World Cup. There's too many limitations. You think of the 1986 Denmark team with the Laudrups. And then you think of uh, Peter Schmeichel when they won the Euros. And all, you know, they've had some great moments as a, uh, as a nation. They got to the semifinals of the last Euros. Uh, they beat France. And then they're going to play France in the World Cup groups as well. I just like the way they play. And you know what? Kind of reminds me of a success story we saw Croatia four years ago, and they had Luka Modric kind of pulling the strings. Christian Eriksen, and I know every time we bring him up, we're always going to compare it to the, we're always going to bring up what happened against Finland in the Euros with his heart 
uh, situation where we all so- sat there and watched the TV in absolute gassed, hoping that we weren't watching someone dying before our eyes. Well, we can't keep bringing that up because Erickson's fine. And he has a Luka Modric effect. He was involved in both goals. He's just incredible what he's able to do. The short little passes, the right decision, the set pieces, everything he does has that Luka Modric quality. And he is one of the best players in the world, which is incredible to say after what happened. So I'm going to stop bringing up, because I'm sure Christian Eriksen doesn't want to talk about it. He wants to move on. And clearly he has the way he's played. So maybe Denmark is that team. You know, playing at the Parken, which uh, was you know, buzzing and packed. It was fantastic. There's another uh, situation with these games that carry so much weight. And as I said earlier, UEFA is running circles around the rest of the world. And we had these Nation Leagues game in the future where Argentina and Brazil might play some European teams. Good for them. Smart move. But the rest of the world is, is slipping off the back tire. And how do you do it? Do you make a relationship with Comebol? I think at some point you have to, if you are a CONCACAF. But does Comebol want to do that? I think Comebol would always want to look into the marketplace of the United States and Mexico and Canada. There's a lot of positives into that. So something has to be done because the calendar is not going to help the development of the U.S. You're as good as your games you play, right? You need to be tested uh, you may not be able to play these European teams. I mean, the Lanchers League's kind of locked those fixtures away. But um, you've got to strike back, right? Somehow, you can't just sit there and absorb it. Because this was magical. I'm watching these games on a Sunday or a Friday, you know, watching Hungary do their thing and so many good stories and, you know, big celebrations because these games matter. And then you see USA Japan and it's crickets. So UEFA is doing it right. They're making all the money. They, their Euros, as I've said in past programs, the, the Euro final felt like a World Cup final. I'm sure the viewership was... By the way, they had the viewership of the Queen's funeral. And somebody goes, it still wasn't as much as the Euro final against Italy. And I just thought it was a little bit macabre, right? But hey, it's all about... If you're talking TV numbers, that's your business. You're allowed to. So somehow, CONCACAF has to find a dance partner. I've mentioned CAF as well, uh, the African Confederation. I mean, there's enough good teams there with Ghana and Egypt and Morocco. I mean, the width and breadth of these African. Cameroon, Algeria didn't make... So many teams that didn't even make the World Cup that are at a high level. Ivory Coast, the Cote d'Ivoire. And several burgeoning young countries that are going... Because they have a connection to many of the European... You know, so many European-born players that play for African countries. So I don't know how that happens. So it's it, it can't you can't keep going on the same way. You've got to find games against good opponents, and you got to create things that matter. The schedule has to change. I don't know if Concacaf's ever going to address that, but uh, you look at the different aspects to make the United States competitive, and it's just not there. And I'm looking for, we're not alone in this. Mexico's got to address that. Brazil, Argentina, Ghana, South Korea. All these countries have to say, how do we compete with Europe? Now, all these games with stakes and all these European-based players that play in Europe wrapping up this international break and now they're going back to their clubs. Problem. Problem because there could be burnout. There should be burnout. What did it? Based on the Nations League, I would say that the European teams are going to succeed. I've said in the past, this World Cup is going to even things out because it's in Qatar, and I stand by that. And the unknown is going to continue to bubble to the surface, like it did in South Korea and Japan, like it did in a lesser degree in South Africa, when it's away from Europe or away from a place like Brazil. Even though the Brazil World Cup was hard to predict as well. So... The European teams, based on the Nations League, everything says they are better prepared for the World Cup than the rest of the world. However, the burnout has to be real. And I look at Virgil van Dijk scoring this goal or Christian Eriksen, people that we've mentioned here, or Antoine Griezmann, and they go back to the European clubs. They're going to be a wreck, right? Where is the break? Especially having to push competitively. You can kind of turn it down a bit. You know, if this was just a World Cup friendly... 
And it wasn't a game that had uh, an important results uh, stakes, as I keep saying. Then these guys don't go the full game. They don't go 75, 80 minutes. They don't play both games, but now they do. So it's a it's a huge burden. We've seen many of the European players address it and are concerned about it. But we're all going to watch the World Cup and see how it is resolved. My guess is there will be some burnout. But the European teams will have two or three in the quarter, at least four in the quarterfinals and maybe two in the semifinals. That's what always happens. Even in a World Cup like South Korea and Japan, which we said all these incredible results, Turkey and South Korea and the United States and Senegal. At the end, your final was Germany and Brazil. But the Nations League, fantastic. UEFA continues to do good business, and that's why they are A number one. This is the Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. Check out the videos that are popping up there. Stick around for some big news coming your way very soon. Until then, and we'll have another podcast following the Saudi Arabia game with a very special guest. This is Max Bretos, the Soccer OG, saying, Placido Domingo. <laughs>